Welcome in to the newest edition of the Just In Time Sports Podcast. I am your host, Justin Jackson. Don't forget to like, rate, subscribe, and comment on iTunes and Spotify where the podcast is appearing. And also do not forget to follow the social media handle at JTimesports. I repeat, at JTimesports for your breaking news, your updates, and other things. Um, normally, uh, this is why I say uh, sit back and get ready to learn something, which will happen. Um, but first, I want to extend my sincerest condolences, prayers, and thoughts uh, to the victims and the victims' families of the mass shootings in Buffalo and in Texas. Um, indescribable feeling, emotions, um, things have to change. We know that. Uh, it's not a political podcast, so I won't go too deep into that. But uh, things have to change, and we know that, and things must change. Um, any life taken is one is one too many. Um, but what are we at? 18 children and some adults in Texas. Double digits. I forgot the numbers. I'm in Buffalo. 10, 11, 12 in Buffalo. Um, different reasons for the acts, but same result. Lives were lost. Things have to change. Um, again, I won't go too deep into that. Um, if you want my feelings, just watch Steve Kerr's pregame interview. And that pretty much describes me. And many of the people I talk to. So um, definitely on that. Um, but shifting back to sports. Again, I want thoughts, prayers, condolences. Something has to change. But uh, all those things to those families and the affected ones. Um, and um, I hope you guys sit back and get ready to learn something. Welcome into the show. Um, very excited to be back. This podcast is on iTunes. It is on Spotify. Like, rate, and subscribe to both. Tell your friends. Chat it up with them. Um, if you guys weren't here last week, we talked about controls on myself, time, segment, limits, etc. Because you guys don't want it's it's reflecting the data. I don't. I mean, I don't have to do. I mean, I, have to, I don't have to make this kind of stuff up. It's reflecting the data. You guys aren't looking for an hour and fifteen minute long podcast. Just my beautiful voice. I totally get it. But you guys did respond very well to the first. I say forty five minutes of the pod. So. Therefore, we're going to shorten it up a little bit. We're going to do two or three big segments, two or three bigger segments during the summer season. We'll obviously figure it out during the fall how we're going to make that work. But during the summer, uh, not really football concentrated. We're definitely going to um, have two or three 15 minute ish segments. Get you guys in and out. Get you guys your information that you're looking for, your analysis, your breakdowns, your predictions, um, what you're looking for, the great content you guys love to interact with me um with and we're gonna get you guys in and out in this week's episode we did not talk about it in the intro i dedicated that all to the i dedicated that we didn't even talk about it i was it wasn't on my mind um to be honest um which was with the uh victims of the mass shootings it wasn't on my mind the topics this week so this week i'm going to talk about the nba obviously the conference finals the all nba teams are also out we're going to touch on those um i have a bone to pick with one person in particular um in regards to that, obviously, we're going to have the NIL war that has happened. Uh, Nick Saban kind of started off on Jimbo Fisher. We're going to talk about that, what's going down there. And we're going to have our best for last, which is going to be um, Colin Kaepernick news. It's pretty exciting. 
if you've been on this journey with Colin Kaepernick, good or bad, big news in that regard. Um, this will come out tomorrow. It's come out tomorrow, which will be Wednesday morning. So really, you guys will know. There will be stories about it, written about it. I'll keep you guys updated, of course, on Justin Time Sports social media. Um, but that is huge news. Is that Colin Kaepernick? Um, it's got Colin Kaepernick news. So we'll talk about that, obviously, in the best for last segment. But jumping back into the NBA, because that is what this lovely 15 minute or so segment is about. The NBA is roaring in the Western in the Western and Eastern Conference Finals. Now, the Eastern Conference Finals will be a three to somebody by the time you guys hear this. Um, and I'm going to start actually with the East because that is the game happening tonight. Again, when you guys hear this, it'll be Wednesday. So my prediction could be completely and totally off. Um, or it could be spot on and y'all look like a genius. If I'm an idiot and I completely miss it, um, then you can all laugh at me while you listen to the segment. It's great. It's cool. I perfectly understand it. But in the East, we have a very old school physical throwback series. It has been blowouts left and right, but that's because somebody on defense has a hell of a defensive game. Just a mind-blowingly amazing defensive game. Um, you've seen it twice in Miami already. You've seen it twice with Boston. Um, pretty much Miami swings on Jimmy Butler. Their half-court offense, yeah, it's, it's just... And Nick Wright talked about it. He said he, he, he used a good thing. Every two weeks or so, Miami looks like the worst half-court offense to ever play basketball. It looks like they have no idea what they're doing. It was almost halftime of game four. The Heat had 28, and I think Oladipo had 16. And it was almost halftime. I mean, it was almost the only reason why it did not get the slander and the libel that Phoenix got from Lucas from the from game seven against them was because Boston was spreading out their butt kicking instead of Luca was giving it all to Phoenix. Uh, if you remember correctly, Luca had 27, Phoenix had 27 at halftime. This one was a little more spread out. I think Tatum had like 16, Derek White had 10 or 12. Um, but still, the Phoenix, I mean, not the Phoenix Suns, the Miami Heat had 28, about three minutes left in the second quarter, and Oladipo had 16. He looked great. The rest of the team was got awful. Miami starters combined for 18 points in game four. God awful performance. One of the worst I've seen in a very long time with the Miami Heat in a game that mattered. Now, a regular season game, you roll out the wrong side of bed on Tuesday on a fourth game in five nights, and you get blown out the water. It happens. Um, but a playoff game in your building with a massive opportunity to go up 3-1, um, or it's in their building, but you have a massive opportunity to go up 3-1 heading back to your building and you put that performance on tape. It was absolutely disastrous. Um, it's almost felt like they won game three and they played it game four like we did what we came to do already in game three, which is split it and get it back to Miami at least 2-2. Two, two. Um, and they pretty much did that. They laid an egg early. Um, Jimmy Butler had an off night. Like I said, if you, if you were a starter, you had an off night. The five starters come out for 18 points. So the lowest, I think, in history... So they started tracking specifically starter points. And uh, as a stat, the Miami Heat had the worst starting five ever, um, especially in the playoff game. It was a disaster. But the Boston Celtics are taking advantage. And you and you look at it, like I said, the series is very old school. It's very physical. It's very throwback. Bam Adebayo's had a game. You know, Justin Tatum's had a game. 
Derek White had a first half in game uh, four. Uh, Jimmy Butler's had a game in this series. And it's just like you get that 80s feel from the 70s, 80s feel where the game is slower. They're jacking threes, but it's more of they're working to get the three instead of first pass. Oh, I got I jab step and you step back one step and I fire it. They're working through the offense, getting threes. Uh, Miami's not really a three-point shooting team. Hero takes them. Struz takes them. Uh, Jimmy will take if he's open in the corner, but even then he might take a couple steps in and pull a mid-range or go dunk it. Um, you know, they're not really a three-point shooting team, but it, Kyle Lowry will shoot them. Tucker shoots his corner ones, obviously. Um, but they're working kind of an old-school 80s offense where they're kind of maneuvering around each other, playing really centralized offense, and then uh, they're getting a good shot out of it. Not necessarily always a three, but a good shot nonetheless. Conversely, you flip that over to the Boston Celtics, they're doing the same thing, except their offense is a little more three-point based. Think about it. When they go to the starting lineup, Robert Williams is the only person on the floor that can't shoot. I mean, and pretty much out of the people that play, um, out of the people that play, the only person who, uh, the only person who really can't shoot is Robert Williams. I mean, if you think about I mean, Tice, okay, he can't really, he don't really play that much. But look at it, they got a shooter in Derek White. They got a shooter in Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. Grant Williams made seven threes in uh, the second in the game seven close out of the Bucks. Um, you know, just to name a few of their guys, Peyton Pritchard. Um, they they have a lot of shooters, so their offense is pretty much centered around we can get the shot when we want to get the shot. Um, so huge for the Boston Celtics. Um, as far as the prediction for this game, we've we've been we've rolled the roller coaster. So if you're a Boston fan, you were down, then you were up, then you were down, then you were up. If you're a Miami Heat fan, you were up, then you were down, then you were up, then you were down. Based on four games of evidence, just get ready to go on the next dip or the next hill. Miami should win this game. Miami should win this series in seven. Based on the dips of this series, Miami should win this series in seven. But something I do in a basketball series, I always say... Okay, you have to win four games in seven. You have to win four times in two weeks. How many different ways can you win? Because in the playoffs, everyone's, the coaching is there, right? Especially in this late, the coaching is great. All four great coaches. Ime Aduko, great coach. He's going to be in Boston a long time. Um, you look at Steve Kerr what he's done. He's got three chips running for a fourth one. Jason Kidd finally looks to be landed his spot as a coach. Uh, in Dallas, and he's he's every time he's been, he's been better. And then you look at um, I can't think of his name right now, I'm going brain dead. Eric Spolstra, obviously, his first year coaching was the Heatles in 2010. He's been to five NBA finals, he's got two championships, and he was named one of the 10 greatest coaches in NBA history. So, you know, those, those are the coaches left. So, the coaching's there, the talent's there. You're one of the last four teams in the NBA. The difference is versatility and how you can win. But because these coaches are so great, if you beat me one way, you're probably not going to beat me that way again. So how many ways can you win a series? I mean, as we go to this in Dallas, Golden State too, which is why that series looks the way it looks. Okay. So the Miami Heat can beat you the following ways. First way, Jimmy Butler has a game. 
He had it in game one, the 40-pointer. He just has a playoff Jimmy game. Number two, they stifle you with defense and beat you as a team defensively. Pretty much happened in game three. Number three, they shoot you out of the building, which every NBA team in the league pretty much has this ability. Every team in the league keeps this one in their back pocket. Five, just shoots you out of the building. There's nothing you can do about it. They make 20 to 25 threes. If you go 20 to 25 threes, you're gonna lose the game in the NBA, especially in the playoffs. And number four, Pretty much their last way, Bam Adebayo has a game. Where he just has a 30 and 12, three-fold block. I'm the man. He had his game. Ironically, two of the games was together. When Jimmy Butler went down in game three, Bam had his game. Right. They pretty much have four ways to beat you. Which means, considering they burned, well, they burned the Bam game. They didn't burn the defensive game necessarily because Jimmy Butler went off. They burned two of their ways already. They only got... Two ways left uniquely, unless somehow either Jimmy has another great game or Bam has another great game. And with Robert Williams there, that pretty much keeps Bam from having that kind of game. He can play well, but he can't do that if Robert Williams is there. Um, Jimmy can get his rocks off. He, he can just explode for 40. But they haven't had their Tyler Hero, Max Strews, Kyle Kuzma, not Kyle Kuzma, Kyle Lowry, P.J. Tucker, um, Duncan Robinson, etc. 22-3 game and they shoot Boston out of the building. They haven't had that game yet and they haven't had the game of Boston scores 83 points. You get what I'm saying? So they haven't had two of their ways that can win. Conversely, look at Boston. Tatum can win you a game. The shooters can win you a game. The defense can win you a game. Brown can win you a game. Horford has shown in the playoffs he can win you a game. The bench mob can go get 15 try to win. Like, Boston has six or seven ways off the top of my head quickly they can beat you. So, by that scenario, they're the better team. Boston should win this series. Uh, so, I know I had the Heat winning game five. Um, I think I said Heat and seven. I'm going to amend that. He's going to win game five. Boston's going to win game six and seven. And Boston says going to the NBA Finals. That is my current prediction. Um, I don't know what the lines are in Vegas, but that is my current prediction. Boston in seven. They're going to win the seventh game in Miami. Uh, it's going to be tough, but they've proven they can win in Miami already. It's hard to get a team to win two road games in the same series, but I just think Boston's going to have too much raw talent for Miami, and they're going to beat them in seven. I mean, if Boston wants to win this series, they got to win another game in Miami anyway, so Boston's going to win in seven. Let's flip this over to the Western Conference. The Golden State Warriors are currently up 3-1 on Dallas Mavericks. Now, we're going to start this with my scenarios with my how you can wins. We're gonna start with Golden State. Steph can win you a game. Steph and Clay can win you a game. Wiggins has shown in these playoffs, he can win you a game. The threes can rain and win you a game. The bench led by Jordan Poole and the rest of that crew can win you a game and they can kill you with defense. So they have six different ways that they can beat you. The Dallas Mavericks have Luka can win you a game. They can shoot your lights out. That's it. You, oh, and Hardaway and Brunson can go off. Not Hardaway and Brunson. Brunson and Dinwiddie, because they've shown they can do it. They did it pretty much in Game Seven. They came along with Luca. Uh, Brunson and Dinwiddie can play up above their heads and get you a game. They have three ways to win basketball games, Dallas. They don't even have four. So in theory, you have to invent. So one of these two have to hit twice. Now usually the shooters are good at home. And it's, it's Luka, Dinwiddie, and Brunson's got to figure it out on the road. They don't even have four ways, in my opinion, that they can beat you. Golden State has six or seven. So that's why that series looks like 
it looks a 3-1 series it was 3-0 and then luca and the shooters had a game simultaneously and you get 3-1 so the shooters won you a game because luca numbers are luca's numbers so the shooter won you a game um in game four go back to uh, go back to chase center i think it ends in the chase center in five and then golden state gets to watch basically the rest of the week for the nba finals there what would be their fifth run or their sixth run um in eight years i believe um yeah they started in 2014 so yeah this would be their sixth runs of the finals in eight years puts them right up there with pretty much anybody want to put now I, I think the bulls are the greatest team ever modern day i mean russell celtics 11 championship 13 years there's there's nothing anybody can do with that but that puts them up there with magic's lakers now i don't i wouldn't have them as high as magic's lakers because magic's lakers just has five and they went to nine finals in effectively 11 years um or 12 years they went to first 79 michael jordan was 91 so nine finals in 12 years the Warriors would be six finals in eight years, and I just don't think they have the longevity left to pull out three more finals in the next four years. Um, so I think it modern day, I'm not counting pre-segregation, for lack of a better term. Like I'm not counting um, Russell or Wilt or anything like that. Think basically the modern NBA Magic and Bird's arrival. I would have Jordan's Bulls as one. They went to they won six finals in eight years, and the two years they didn't win, Jordan didn't play basketball. Magic's Lakers, nine trips in 12 years, five chips, and then it would have to be the Warriors, six six trips in eight uh, years with Durant, without Durant. If they win a ring, that'd be two with, two without, you know what I'm saying? So they'd be their third team um, of the modern era, which again is, I count Bird and Magic's arrival in 79 forward as the modern NBA. Um. But they have so many more ways to beat Dallas. Dallas is pretty much trying to pull things together. I mean, Luka's going to be Luka. That's that's a fact. But you have to get somebody else to come with him. Or he has to go for one of those 50-pointers. And that, that's just a lot of different things to ask for um, all at one time. Uh, so that's how I'm looking at this series. I think it ends in five. And that sets up Boston, Golden State, in the NBA Finals. Um, coastal battle, which is what the NBA wants. They want the coast in. Um, and for media purposes, Boston's one of the biggest media markets in the world. Golden State has one of the biggest fan bases in the world due to their recent success. This is like when Chicago was winning. Everybody wanted to be Bulls fans. For a while, everybody wanted to be Warriors fans, Curry fans. So having that coastal battle would be great for ratings, stuff like that. It'd be a hell of a series. I will not pick a winner um, of a hypothetical series. I will instead wait until we get... Um, to that point, but I have Boston winning in seven, Golden State winning in five, and we will see them in the NBA Finals. Couple of free agent notes. Oh, but just free agent notes. So DeAndre Aiden is not going back to the Phoenix Suns. I will be thoroughly shocked if he plays for the Suns ever again. They seem to be out on each other. Aiden seems to have been holding in frustration from all season. The Suns seem to have been doing the same, and they finally boiled over in the game seven. So I think they're done. Unfortunately for Aiden, walking out of the doors and it's easy. Now he's an unrestricted free agent, but the issue is he's going he's gonna to get a max contract. It's kind of hard to fit in the max cleanly, so you kind of have to do signing trades. Now one interesting signing trade has been the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, the Suns would get back a first round pick, Clint Capella, I think Herder. The first round pick, Clint Capella, and somebody else off that bench in exchange for DeAndre Aiden. 
which would then immediately free up a potential sign and trade to get Zach Levine also in Atlanta and make a basically a big three with Trey Young, Zach Levine, and DeAndre Ayton. Hell of a big three, by the way. Um, especially in the East. That's a that's a now none of them are great defenders, but that is a big three that you look at and go, holy bleep. If they keep veterans around them, because John Collins will still be there. And even in the sign and trades listeners I've seen for Levine, John Collins is still a hawk. So you would have Trey Young, Zach Levine, John Collins, insert Bogdan, I guess. Trey Young, Zach Levine, Bogdanovich, John Collins, DeAndre Ayton as your starting five in Atlanta. That's a hell of a team. Um, immediately to me, a top four seed candidate in the East with a squad that way. Healthy Nets, Bucks, Celtics, Hawks, Sixers. Probably about how I would have it because Harden's only getting older and that team's really, really young and athletic. You can't double off anybody. Trey Young, you know what he's about. Zach Levine's a great scorer. Bodanovich is a sniper. Uh, when John Collins is right, he's flying all around the room everywhere. And Aiden, when he's engaged, is to a 20 and 9 guy walking. So that level of production is going to absolutely um, be amazing in Atlanta. But speaking of Zach Levine, he's tied, one of the things he's tied to is the Los Angeles Lakers. Now, I have no idea how the Lakers get in this. Like, there's no way. He's tied to the Lakers, the Mavs, the Trailblazers, and the Hawks have been the four teams I've heard have been the biggest. Now, let's start with, like, we talked about the Hawks scenario. The Mavericks, they have a decision to make on Jalen Brunson. But I'm sure if they can do a Jalen Brunson, Zach Levine kind of dual signing trade to eat some of the cap around, they'll drop Zach Levine in with Luka, and you have Luka and Zach Levine. Again, neither are great defenders, but neither is Jalen Brunson. But Zach Levine is a certified bucket. And so you put a certified bucket next to Luka Doncic, you can't double Luka because Zach Levine's running around. So that'd be great for them. I also think Dallas should get in on the DeAndre Aiden thing. Maybe they shift that DeAndre Aiden Zach Levine pairing to Dallas. And but I, don't, I just don't think Phoenix will agree to trade him to Dallas. But, um, you know, trade him down to Dallas and see what happens there. Zach Levine, Portland, I don't want that to happen. That's Damon CJ part two, but more light skin. I have no desire in seeing that happen at all. Um, like I said, we talked about the Atlanta scenario. The Laker won't be great. How the hell are you going to do it? LeBron, Anthony Davis, and Zach Levine could potentially win a championship. Very seriously. How the hell are you going to pull it off? Russell Westbrook's eating $44 million. Unless you sign and trade, Russell, and three teams sign and trade it, dump Russ onto anybody. You pull back Zach Levine. So you give it to Russ's contract. You get in Zach Levine. And you toss, I don't know, you do a draft pick situation. Like in order like in order for somebody to take a rush, you sell them Russ plus a 2027 20, 20, first round pick. You get the Bulls to send them another first round pick. You get Zach Levine and some, I, I don't know how it works. It's too convoluted to get Levine and to get rid of Russ in effectively the same deal. Now, if you separate the deals out, you may can pull it off. It may end up taking a THT, um, couple of older vets, something for Zach Levine. Levine comes in, Russ immediately bounces out to somebody else. I don't, I don't know how that works. But you're going to have to figure something out with the money. You either buy Russ out at that point. You stretch him, which I think Genie Buss does not want to do. Wave and stretch. Or you dump him on somebody, but I don't know who would take him. Like, no, he's he's not a commodity anybody would want. So as I say, I don't see the Lakers. I don't see the Lakers being a possibility for Zach Levine. But he's tied. He tied there so much. I don't know if that's because LeBron's there, 
or if that's a legitimate possibility. I think it's just because LeBron is there. I don't see how you legitimately pull this off. I could be wrong, but I just don't see it. Also, lastly, on the NBA, the all NBA teams have been announced um, and we are going to talk about those right now. I have no gripe with any. And I do mean any of the All-NBA teams. Congratulations to those people who made it. Uh, first team was Giannis Antetokounmpo, Devin Booker, Luka Doncic, Nikola Jokic, Jason Tatum. Second team was Stephen Curry, DeMar DeRozan, Kevin Durant, Joel Embiid, John Morant. Third team was LeBron James, Chris Paul, Pascal Siakam, Carl Anthony Towns, and Trey Young. Now, there have been a little bit, people have been speaking up saying, how can Joel Embiid be second in the MVP voting and second team All-NBA? Because the person who's first team All-NBA and first in the MVP voting happens to play the same position, which is center. Sorry, Joel Embiid, you're going to be second team. Now, people are saying, oh, we should unposition the All-NBA teams. No, you shouldn't. He's the second best center in the NBA behind Nikola Jokic, who won the MVP and therefore won the first team All-NBA spot. So tough tits is just how to it's just how that cookie crumble. But the issue I have with this is a man named Jalen Rose. And Jalen Rose, great uh Michigan player, part of the Fab Five. Um, you know, all that good stuff. Great Michigan player, part of the Fab Five. He voted for Kyrie Irving to be third team over Trey Young, and I want his vote stripped immediately. Kyrie Irving played 29-ish basketball games out of his own volition for refusing to get the COVID-19 vaccine. Not because he didn't believe in the vaccine, it was because he didn't believe in the mandate to get one and other reasons that Kyrie Irving had. But Jalen Rose voted him in as third team all NBA over Trey Young, who literally finished top three in total points to assist. And only reason why he wasn't a first team or a second team all NBA guy was because Luka Doncic is the best point guard in the NBA. If you're going to listen with a point guard, Chris Paul's team won 64 games. And so that left Trey Young on 13. Stop this, Jalen Rose. That was another weird vote. Uh, uh, Bain, Desmond Bain got a vote from somebody. Uh, okay. But Kyrie Irving, come on, Jalen Rose. You're better than that. But up next, we're going to shift to the college football war that has everyone talking about it, October 8th. Nick Saban versus Jimbo Fisher. Welcome back into the show, and now we're going to talk about the college football war. College football's offseason is usually pretty sleepy, but this war, uh, specifically between Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher, kind of lit the world on fire. Usually when it comes to the offseason, and I'm kind of recruiting as in-season, that's a thing. The offseason, it gets pretty quiet. After National Signing Day, middle of February, it's pretty much sleepy town unless you're a fan of one specific team or there's a new big coaching hire. So, for instance, there's a lot of buzz around LSU. Why? Because Brian Kelly was there. There's a lot of buzz around Miami. Why? Uh, Manny Diaz was there. There's a lot of buzz around USC. Why? Lincoln Riley's there. You know, unless you're not Manny Diaz. Uh, Mario Cristobal. My apologies. Manny Diaz was the last coach. Mario Cristobal is there in Miami. Um, back in Miami where he played during the U era. 
USC has Lincoln Riley. Um, Oklahoma has Brett Venables, you know, et cetera. So if there's a big coaching change on your campus, there's excitement around your program. Oh, and Sark obviously was like that last year with UT, et cetera. But other than that, after signing day in the middle of February, it's pretty sleepy town, unless you're a fan of that specific team. For instance, I'm LSU born and raised, so I'm always interested in what they're doing, especially this year. Um, it's pretty much sleepy town until about late August. And then that's when you start hearing about real schedule predictions. You start seeing real headlines, real storylines, not coaches are chirping, not players are chirping because week one's around the corner. Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher and subsequently Deion Sanders had a little bit of change of plans. If you get, give you a little backstory, what happened was Nick Saban was at a event. He looked like a very small private event. However, all of these things now are recorded. Everybody's got a phone. Everybody wants to post on social media, whatever. I don't know if this is from a live or an actual video, but it went, it was, it, it went viral. Of course, it blew up all the world. And Nick Saban basically, in no uncertain terms, well, literally said Texas A&M bought every recruit they had. That Alabama finished second, and they finished second to A&M, who finished first, who bought every single recruit in their in their campus. NIL has no guidelines. NIL has just a, a wild, wild west situation. Jackson State paid a guy a million dollars and bragged about it in the paper. Nothing happened to them, um, etc. Went on a long run about NIL, etc. I'm no expert. I don't know Jimbo Fisher. Jim Fisher not know me. If we pass him, if we pass each other in a hallway, I would be like, oh my God, it's Jimbo Fisher. He would look at me like, who is this guy walking up to me? Um, Jimbo Fisher has been coaching football longer than I've been alive. I don't know Jimbo Fisher from a, he don't know me from a hole in the wall. It is from the outside looking in, it is as if Jimbo Fisher has been waiting on this moment. It is like Jimbo Fisher has been waiting to tell the world how he truly feels about Nick Saban. Give background on this situation. And Paul Feinbaum effectively confirmed and I'll talk about him a little later. Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban were coaching together at LSU early 2000s when Nick Saban was in Baton Rouge coaching LSU. LSU had come off the 90s, worst decade in program history. And they were getting revitalization. Nick Saban comes from the north, lands at LSU, revitalized program. They win in 03. Saban dips in 04. Jimbo goes to Florida State under Bobby Bowden. Under the Bowdens in general. OC there, whatever. Saban comes back to college, offers Jimbo the OC job, which is what he had at LSU under Saban. Offers him the OC job um, at Alabama. Jimbo declines. At the time, many thought because he saw the right on the wall. Saban's not going anywhere anytime soon. He fell in the NFL. He's not going back. By Bowden's getting up there in age. Someone's gonna have to take over this program. Jimbo probably has an inside foot. Ultimately, Jimbo does have the inside foot of the Florida State job. He takes it. Florida State AM. We get that now. Okay. At the time, like I said, many people thought it's because old man Bobby Bowden is getting old. And he's gonna take. He's gonna have to take a step back. Someone's gonna have to fill that spot. When a coach is there, as long as Bob Bowden was twenty some, thirty some years, usually they want to pass it to somebody in the family, because you know how this is run. For instance, if you're the if you're the CEO of a of a corporation, you're the leader of a, a leader of an entity, leader of a group, and you've been leader of that group for twenty years. 
you don't want somebody outside of the group to come in because you think, man, they change everything. It's not going to look like my group. No, you want to pass it off to your second in command, your third in command that's been under you for 10, 15 years. They know exactly how it's supposed to run. They know the little bitty tweaks they can do to make it better. But from the outside looking in, 85% of it's going to be me. So he passed on Jimbo Fisher, etc. Cool, that's the backstory. When Nick Saban said what he said, first, Jimbo did not respond. So Deion Sanders responded on social media stating that he will address the lies by Nick Saban. Travis Hunter, who was the player that Nick Saban referenced, made a tweet laughing saying, man, I got a million dollars. My mama's still living in a three-bedroom house with five kids. Basically saying, like, there's no way I got a million dollars and my mama living like that. Um, You know, and Jimbo Fisher didn't say anything. All of a sudden, a press conference gets announced. 10 a.m. at Cowfield. People, myself, Pete Thamel for VSPN, uh, Pete the Mel, if that's how you pronounce it, set up. I wonder what that's about. Jimbo Fisher goes on a rant. So before I get into the rant, college football basically has a mutually agreed don't blow us up. Like it's, like it's almost like a mutual armistice. No one say anything about another coach that could tie anybody else into it. So if you want to talk about the team, you want to talk about the game plan, you want to talk about how you might want to beat the coach, how much you don't like the coach, whatever. You can say whatever you want. What you cannot do is mutually destruct each other. Nick Saban fired the first missile in that battle. Jimbo Fisher fired the damn arsenal back. Like he was ready for this. He said... Go look into Nick Saban's past. You're going to find out how the guy does it. We build up this czar, build him as czar football. He's not a good guy. Uh, look at all his ex-coaches. You wonder why nobody ever goes back to him. Um, look at, you know, how he does things. Basically, in no uncertain terms, accusing Saban of being a cheater. He called him a narcissist. He said he thinks he's God. I mean, it was just like a rant of all rants on Nick Saban. Totally blowing up his half of the mutually don't screw us up uh which got popular during like the smu days if you watch the pony express pony excess um 30 for 30 by smu in the 80s one coach said i won't tell him you put gas on a car if you won't tell him about the car i mean that was kind of like we're all doing the bad stuff don't tell anybody wink wink you know if you win you win it is what it is uh but don't say anything to anybody that can get me in trouble you know what i'm saying like i'm not gonna say no you're not gonna say that we're gonna walk off so when Jimbo started firing back, that screwed the pooch on the whole, yeah, Saban took a dig, but it wasn't like that. It was a dig. It was a big dig, and, and especially a dig Jimbo had addressed right after signing day when they signed the greatest class ever. He took to the microphone, we're not cheating, um, and I, we didn't buy players, et cetera, et cetera. Nick Saban turned right around and accused them directly of the same exact thing. He said he was done with Nick Saban, and Saban tried to call him. He won't answer his phone. He's done with them. Um, like I said, attacked him personally, attacked him professionally. Um, and it was a massive thing. I mean, it blew up. Deion Sanders, on the other hand, um, basically said he wants to have a public conversation with Nick Saban, saying that, yo, your accusation wasn't public. 
So the conversation should be in public. We shouldn't have the conversation in private. He still loved him. He still respected him. But he wanted to have that open conversation with Saban in public. Now, Saban has since walked some of those comments back, saying he should not have named specific names. But he still feels the way about NIL. That is not right for the game, etc. That is no, it's no guardrails. He doesn't mind players being paid. It's the lack of guardrails and how people and how recruits are basically being bought. Especially if you believe some of the reports like at USC, they paid their NIL package for Jordan, uh, what's his name? The receipt from Pitt. Jordan Allison, I want to say. Excuse me if that's wrong. Reportedly, it was $3.5 million. For comparison, Juju Smith-Schuster signed a free agent deal with the Kansas City Chiefs for $3.25 million. So a college receiver would make it more than Juju Smith-Schuster. No harm in that game, but I'm pretty sure the only reason he's going to USC instead of Alabama or LSU or uh, Texas was because they couldn't match $3.5 million. Um, like I mean, so that's the kind of situation Saban's referring to is that that's that's a flat out bought player, and but bought player has a terrible connotation to it, especially because a lot of these men are young African Americans saying you uh, an older white man saying another older white man bought effectively younger black younger African Americans to perform a sport. It, it, it was not a great. The connotations were horrible um, in that. And so that's pretty much what happened there. But if, if you take a look at, um, if you take a look at the situation as a whole, when Jimbo fired back, like I said, everyone immediately got their red pen out and circled August, uh, October 8th. But that led to a lot of NIL discussion. That led to a lot of NIL discussion of what is NIL. So NIL itself, and if I explain it, I'm going to tell you why they're both lying. NIL itself is a name image and likeness it is basically your marketability now schools are circumventing how to do it but it was supposed to be okay you are i'm going to use a popular player cj stroud quarterback at ohio state people know the name cj stroud people know the name bryce young at alabama they don't necessarily have to attach the name quarterback at alabama or quarterback at ohio state to you to people to be like oh shit, that's CJ Stroud, you know what I'm saying? Whatever. They would pay you based on that. So any endorsement deal you were to allegedly sign that was not used to induce a player in order to come to a school, whatever endorsement deal you were to sign, you cannot use the school's logo, the school's name, hell, even the colors in your ads because then that would tie you back to the school and that would break the rules. Right. So if you were Alabama's quarterback uh, or Bo Nix, Signed a very small NIL deal with Milo's Sweet Tea. Right? I remember it well because of the reactions of the fans. Milo's Sweet Tea. I am back. I currently in Louisiana. am never going to see that ad in Auburn, Alabama. But everybody in Auburn, Alabama is going to see Bo Nix with this jug of uh, Sweet Tea. And they are going to, you know, they're going to know what's going on with that. That's a that, that's an NIL deal. Derek Singley, before he got injured, had, was supposed to have a massive rollout with walk-ons. For Baton Rouge, Baton Rouge area, Baton Rouge, Denham Springs, local areas around Baton Rouge, walk-on locations because the name Derek Stingley wouldn't mean something to those. You know what I'm saying? So it was supposed to be set up like that. Miles um, Brennan had with Sliders, the little burger company, right around LSU. They have a location. Yeah, it's an NIL deal. He wears some burger stuff. That you know, whatever. That's what it's supposed to be about. Pretty much once you're in school, that's what supposed to be about. Well. Teams have been kind of circumventing it. So, like, Texas had an LLC, put every scholarship for some alignment on $50,000 in a deal. 
BYU, every single walk-on got their tuition paid for by some company offering NIL. Okay, that was, and now companies with exclusive partners are offering NIL deals. So reportedly, I've heard numbers as high as $20 million went to the Texas A&M recruiting class. That's a, that's not what NIL is supposed to be about. Because what does an offense, what does a defensive lineman from Texas need one and a half million? No one knows his name. I don't know his name. Like, why does he need that kind of money? It's not a, that's not an NIL deal. That's a pay to play. That's a come here, you get this money. I understand if your NIL deal is bigger at Oklahoma than it is at uh, McNeese State, for instance. I get it. I totally get it. Because that makes sense. You're going to be on more TVs at Oklahoma, etc. But you're clearly doing this for a specific reason. You're clearly inducing payments, etc. Now, Jimbo Fisher fired back. Oh, and, and this is what I'm going to say. They're both lying. Jimbo Fisher, or they're both lying and telling the truth. So Nick Saban said they bought their players. That is correct. However, AM did not buy them. Conversely, when Jimbo Fisher says we didn't buy any players, and we're doing things the right way, you're both telling the truth and lying. You're telling the truth that Texas AM did not buy a single player. You're absolutely right. You're lying and saying you didn't do it the right way. Because there, there's no Foot, there's no marketing proof where a left guard from Michigan, I don't, I don't know if they have one, should get $2 million in NIL deal. There's That makes no sense. Who's going to know him? In the NFL, I know what? Three guards? Quinn Nelson, Shaq Mason, end of list, Andrews Pete, like, end of list. So it's kind of like, you know, you're not, you're not making sense here in terms of the NIL market. So I think... Saban wants it to be streamlined. I do think he's sorry for naming names because that, that kind of breaks the code. Jimbo Fisher was armed and ready, fired back at will, also breaking the code. That's whatever. Um, and then you take a look at the guy. You guys, that situation, a couple of code breaks there. Um, and I always, you know, one of the big things with NIL was the gap spreading. The gap's always going to be massive, whatever. It's disingenuous, though, on both sides. Because Jimbo Fisher, all their NIL deals come from Barstool Sports, who's the exclusive content provider for Texas A&M. Not affiliated officially, but conveniently, that's what happens. Travis Hunter's NIL deal comes from Barstool Sports, allegedly. Exclusive content provider for Jackson State, who also has a deal with the head coach, Deion Sanders. LSU sports, a lot of their NI deals come from Gordon McKernan. He's the official injury lawyer for LSU. So they're navigating around it by getting different deals. And that's why I say it's, it's, it is disingenuous because Nick Saban has incoming freshman and transfers or NIL deals. Because reportedly Eli Ricks was negotiating NIL deals between Ohio State and Bama. Ohio, he asked for too much from Ohio State. OSU pulled out. He goes to Bama. So you effectively bought for lack of a better term, and I hate that word, bought uh, Eli Ricks. You know, Kayshawn Butte was reportedly Bama bound, and then all of a sudden, Gordon McKernan posts a, he's here to stay, because he upped his NIL deal. Kayshawn Butte is LSU Tiger next year. I'm pretty sure NIL is going to be a reason he was going to slide to Bama. Like, you're disingenuous. Converse Jimbo Fisher finds some stats where he only has one out of 11 or something like that, defensive recruits on NIL deals when they answer camp. Like, they're going to sign those NIL deals really fast in the spring, in the fall. They may not have their name on the paper right now, 
they're going to sign those deals really fast because the money's already been rumored to be out there. And rumors don't get to me unless somebody wants them out. So the money's already out there. So, I mean, they're gonna, so you're talking out of both sides of your mouth. They're both being disingenuous. They both basically pull, peel back the curtain on a problem. The NCAA does actually have with NIL. Um, and the other thing that's going on with the NCAA, um, and they're struggling to deal with that. So I'm very interested to see how that develops and where that goes from there. But up next, we're going to have our best for last. It's going to be a little news on Colin Kaepernick. Welcome back in. We're going to have our best for last. Now, again, this will come out Wednesday. Don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe to the Apple, uh, to the Justin Time Sports Podcast on iTunes and Spotify. Um, again, this will come out tomorrow, which will be Wednesday morning. So, of course, the Kaepernick news will be everywhere three times over. Morning shows will be running it. Um, but the Las Vegas Raiders have officially brought in Colin Kaepernick for an official workout. Um, an official, official, official workout. So this is not just um, this is not just referring to oh we're gonna come in for a meeting, just to hear him talk. No, this is the NFL level workout. Whenever that were uh, to happen, it's gonna you know it's it's an NFL workout for anybody else. Colin Kaepernick is getting one. It's his first actual workout, as far as we know, since he was released by the Niners. Um, the NFL scheduled that workout, but since he technically never participated in it, this is his first real workout. Um, so huge news for that. I hope he lands with the Raiders. They had Marcus Mariota for years, um, for a couple of years there. Use him in the RPL, use his legs, etc. Now that was a different coach, but clearly Josh McDaniels and company have an idea what they would do with him. Otherwise, why bring him in for a workout? Um, so I am very excited about that. I hope he lands there. I hope we get to see him in the preseason. His, I think Zay Jones, no, Zay Jones is in Jacksonville. So that number seven jersey, if he gets it back, would fly off the shelves. Ironically, his Nike jersey, his Nike deal is black and white. The Las Vegas Raiders are black and silver, um, and white. So it'll be very interesting to see how that goes down. Um, Financially, the Raiders make a lot of money off of it. People will buy Kaepernick jerseys, a lot of them. I mean, when I posted the news, people commented. Uh, people were t- just telling me just recently, um, I don't even like the Raiders. I'm buying the Kaepernick jersey because a the Kaepernick jersey goes it puts money in Cat's pocket, but b you're supporting. I'm putting I'm, I'm buying the Kaepernick jersey. Now, could there be a Tim Tebow thing where they sell them out really fast and he cut them in three weeks and then everyone has this Kaepernick Raiders jersey for no reason? But the NFL has made $30 million of it. You know, I mean, that could be a situation. Um, but I think the Raiders, if they were to sign him, sign him just to cut him, he has to make it to the preseason. If you're going to cut him, you got to cut him before the preseason. Because if he gets in the preseason and he's just flamethrowing all across the field, he's on the team. And then the other NFL team is going to like doofuses for not signing him. So like a Seattle, for instance, you have Drew Locke. Um, 
So huge news for Colin Kaepernick. Like I said, I hope he makes a roster. I'm excited for this opportunity. I'm excited for him. But that is all we have for today. Huge thing next week. I am in the process of right now. I started today. I'll finish it the next couple of days of charting every single NFL regular season game and their actual record. So, you know, like when life would do that, do like 11 and 6 and the numbers early add up. No, I am doing every single NFL game. Some of the early results are shocking me because when you just do win, loss, win, loss, whatever, you're only thinking in the term of that team. But when you mark an X on one, you put a check by another one, and you realize, man, this team only got five checks, and it's actually a pretty solid team. You know, so it's just things are starting to even. I'm just trying to balance out. So it's kind of cool to go through that um, process because you don't have, you know, 9-11 win teams. It's impossible in one conference. You kind of kind of balance it out. It's just balancing itself out, and it's I say it's a pretty cool thing to go through the process um, of picking every single game, you know, all 18 weeks, all 32 teams. So, like I said, it's a very fun, very fun process. I can't wait to finish it. But, we will, but that will probably be the B block in next week's show. Uh, barring something happens, we'll be – um, every team's record, playoffs, Super Bowl prediction, Super Bowl winning prediction will be in next week's show. That will highlight next week's show. So be there for that. But again, that is all we have for today. This is your host, Justin Jackson, signing out. <laughs>